0: Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you and your life. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ephesians. We're once again looking at uh, this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 that uh, we've been looking at for some time and we're making slow progress in uh, what we've been looking at. Last week we looked at uh, uh, the uh, walk in wisdom and the the need to to walk uh, with wisdom and not foolishness. And today we're going to look at uh, the next verses, uh, so fortunately we're continuing to make progress. Let's join together for prayer and ask God to bless us as we do. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your great love, and we praise You for Your Word, and we thank You for uh, the privilege that You give us to study Your Word and to, to understand and know uh, Your desire for our life. and. And Father God, we pray that You would help us as we study Your Word to, to grow closer to You, that Your Spirit would speak to our hearts. Lord, enable us to, to know and understand uh, Your desire for us. And Lord, help us to... Uh, to Not take offense at what the word uh, shares with us, but Lord, to be faithful, to study it according to the way in which it is given to us, and allow you to speak to our hearts, Lord, that we might uh, grow closer, ever closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today we're looking at. New section of scripture, starting in verse eighteen, Ephesians chapter five verse eighteen is where we are this morning and and uh, I want to look at this verse with you and and kind of lay the groundwork for what we're uh, going to look at for the next uh, couple of sundays and then and then uh, we're going to look more detail at it uh, next week. Uh, but we left off last week with our uh, understanding of walking in wisdom, that we are to walk in wisdom. And we're, uh, today we're talking about uh, living the Spirit-filled life. And so uh, Ephesians as a whole... Has uh, and and my desire has been to share with you the uh, the uh, understanding and meaning of Ephesians, looking at it as a whole set. Now, so many times when pastors and preachers preach on the book of Ephesians. They'll uh, jump immediately to chap- uh, chapter 6 and talk about the armor of God and that's that's some excellent uh, passages of Scripture and we're going to look at that uh, in detail when we get there. Uh, and uh, we, we talk about uh, that kind of thing in, in Scripture, but the important thing is, is to understand that Ephesians is not all just one verse or one section of small verses in that. We have to understand how we get to that passage of Scripture, how it fits in with the rest of the Scripture. That uh, Remember, this is a letter. Uh, we, we read it with chapters and verses to help us to be able to dissect it and be able to look at it to be able to reference a certain point in the letter but you have to remember that this was a letter written by Paul to the church at Ephesus and he's writing this letter to help them to understand what it means to be a Christian because of the fact that so many were coming into their uh, fellowship, their church, and were uh, leading them astray with, uh, with other teachings that, were, that they were presenting as the gospel. And Paul is trying here to reemphasize the, this, the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And the value that we have with this book of Ephesians and understanding the whole book is that Paul lays out for us in very de- in great detail what it means to be a Christian, why we are called, uh, how we are called by God to be a Christian, and how we live that life, and the problems and the foibles that, that lie before us and how to overcome them. And there's not a single Christian that lives... In this world today... The, any single person first of all that lives in this world that doesn't need to be a Christian there every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God every one of us have missed the mark and every one of us need to understand and know uh, the gospel message of Jesus Christ and to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior but once we do that do we just simply drop you off and just simply say okay you got to uh, sink or swim figure it out yourself get in there and and, and figure it on out your own self. No, that's not. the Listen, I've had jobs where uh, uh, they spent a good period of time teaching me what it meant to, uh, to be an employee of that particular job. And they would tell me, okay, this is how you do your job. <coughs> Sometimes it was given to me in a series of lectures and a series of of explanations on how to do that job and and then I was uh, given direction by another individual on how to step by step do that job then there were other jobs where they just simply said come on I'm going to show you what you do you do your job like this and you do this and you do that and then, uh, then you go on to the next step and here's the next step and here's what you do and they just throw you in there and they say okay we're going to watch you and make sure you do your job like you're supposed to then I've had jobs where and one particular job, uh they basically said, get in there, do your job, and uh uh good luck at it. <laughs> I'm serious. I had a job that, that uh was was that way and And let me tell you something, it took a good while for me to figure out what my job was, what I was supposed to do. They said, here's what we want at the end of the day. This is what we want. How you get there, we don't care. Just do it. And uh, let me tell you, it was not a very productive time. In the Christian world, we don't. Desire. God does not desire for you to simply being, be born as a, as a new believer in Christ and just plop you down and not give you an understanding of who you are, what your calling is, what your role is as a Christian, and how to accomplish it and how to avoid those conflicts that come up. It is much more well organized to understand that than it is simply to just say, here, good luck. Get at it. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's giving a step-by-step process to remind the church at Ephesus what, who they are. Because Paul couldn't be there. That's why he's writing the letter. He couldn't go back in there and reteach them and re-educate them. And so uh, as I've been sharing with you the whole layout of the book of Ephesians, uh, from time to time it's been brought up that Paul describes uh, this church or your your relationship to Christ in a couple of different ways and one of the ways that that we've talked about it is, is that you are like a uh, 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 it's like you are being built as a high performance car. You know one of those really expensive uh, Grand Prix cars that they race over there in Italy uh, that that are real close to the ground, and they have—they look like just speed, like they're going fast, just sitting still. I mean, they—they they just high performance. And in chapters one, two, and three, we we talked about the power plant. We talked about your position as a Christian, how you uh, receive uh, the nuts and bolts, kind of like the engine of the of this high performance vehicle. What does it mean for you? to be a Christian Uh, and we talked about the resurrection power and we talked about the inheritance in Christ and so that is what drives us, it moves us forward. And then in chapter 3 verses uh, uh, up until a certain point uh, we're talking about in chapter 3 that inheritance and then in chapter 3 verse 14 through 21 we talk about the ignition. You know, you can't You can't take that high-performance vehicle and push it around the track and expect to win, can you? I mean, listen, I've had some cars where I've actually literally had to push it uh, in order to get it started and and uh, but it, those aren't very high performance let me tell you those are some very low performance vehicles and uh, uh, I, I had one uh, vehicle that, that just quit on me and I had to push it out of the middle of traffic and uh, it wasn't a small car it was ginormous it was huge um, but you, you, you don't really associate a, a well oiled machine a high performance vehicle with something you have to push no you want that thing to go around. And listen, you can't get that car moving unless you do one thing. What is it? Turn on the ignition. You can't get that, that high-performance vehicle, whether it, it races at, at, uh, at that Grand Prix in, in Paris or if, it, if it's uh, going out back here, home. You can't get your car to go without doing what? You turn on the ignition. Turn on the engine. And so in chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, we talk about the ignition switch, and we talked about the strength in the inner man, which is Christ. You begin to to move with that relationship with Christ, uh, and when Christ settles down within your heart, the Spirit of God comes within you. You are filled with the Spirit, and you begin to move, and and, uh, that's the key. The Spirit of God uh, living in you uh bringing about in you the characteristics of christ and god the father dwelling within you so then we get to chapter four and we talk about uh the route uh you know it doesn't make sense to take that high performance vehicle and uh that's made for uh going across a track that's like glass it doesn't it doesn't does it do well to take that out to an old cow pasture and try and drive it around you won't get very far and you certainly won't get there very fast no you you're meant to go on the on the uh the the appropriate pathway and we talked about the appropriate pathway as the worthy walk and we talked about the fact that there is a it is unique it is a path uh, that is laid out by God. It is a path of humility, not pride. It is a path of unity, not discord. It is walking in the light. It's walking in love. It's walking in unity. It's walking in wisdom. And we talked about all of that up until last week. And and as I said, when we get to chapter 6, verse 10, we talk about some of the obstacles, the roadblocks that Satan throws up in our way. Uh, you can't you can't make it around the track if there's a big uh, barrier in the middle of the track. Uh, as you go around, you've got to be able to go uh, uh, to be able to go through the barrier, or to have the barriers broken down. And that's what uh, we talk about: uh, the influence of Satan upon our lives, and how Satan throws up those roadblocks. And we talk about the armor of God. And uh, that's an important part of Ephesians. Like I said, it's part that most everybody just uh, looks at and nothing else. Uh, we see uh, that spiritual wickedness and high places and principalities and powers and rulers of darkness come against us. In chapter uh, 6, verse 18, uh, the answer is to put on the whole armor of God and then to pray always. So, how do we uh, associate? Chapter 5, verse 18, with all of this. What does it say? It says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another. In the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands and to the Lord. And for the husband is the head of the wife, even as uh, Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be uh, to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any uh, such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish so all men to love their own uh, the wives as their own body and he that loveth his wife loveth himself so no man ever hateth his own flesh but nourished it and cherished it even as the lord has cherished the church for we are members of one body and he goes on uh, uh, talking about uh, how we, not only uh, the family, but also in life, with the master and the slave. So we have a passage of scripture that kind of doesn't fit. Doesn't kind of um, make its way into the whole package. Uh, it's kind of odd. And what this, uh, it's not odd when you understand that this is the fuel. This is the fuel of how we are going around. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to have that high-performance vehicle and to have the ignition started but no fuel. You know, it all something happens when an engine doesn't have any fuel in it, doesn't it? It, it kind of stops. It sputters for a little while and then it stops. That's kind of like a picture of an, uh, an Amish guy that I saw one time. Somehow he had won a uh, free brand new automobile. Latest thing on the market at the time. This Amish farmer who uh, somehow someone had put his name in for a drawing for this car and he uh, won this car and they brought it out and presented it to him and he got ready to take it home and and you know what he did? He hooked his horse up to it and he took it home. (laughs) He was riding in style in that car being pulled by a horse. And we laugh at that, rightly so, because of the fact that nobody thinks of of riding in a car behind a horse. Uh, it's silly. You just put gas in it and start it up and go, right? Especially if we're talking about one of those grand prix cars that sits low. It would be kind of odd and silly to 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 uh, have something with that enormous power, that uh, 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 unimaginable uh speed associated with it just being drawn by a horse and and so what what we need to understand today is is that living our life in the flesh of this world living our life uh being influenced by the things of this world is is like pulling that high performance vehicle with a horse it's being led by the flesh. It's being led by the things of this world. And and we, God doesn't desire for us to have that in our life. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is like putting the, the top-grade fuel in that thing, like rocket fuel to a rocket. It will cause that high-performance vehicle to just explode with power and to be able to, to go faster than any horse could ever draw it uh around that track and so what we need to understand is is that god wants us to have the spirit of god working within us to be the fuel to our high performance vehicle and allow his spirit to fill us a lot, uh, with uh our attitude and our relationships being affected so and, and if we go back to what we looked at last week remember what it said Uh, For us, see that you walk circumspectly, and we talked about that being in wisdom, not as fools, but as the wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Uh, Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The last aspect of walking in wisdom is to allow the Holy Spirit to fill your life rather than walking in the flesh. The last aspect of of the wise walk is is to understand and know the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. To understand and know how the Spirit of God is is uh, empowering you and allowing you uh, to have the power that you need. It's uh, it's kind of like owning that high performance vehicle. And also being uh, the owner of Exxon Mobil, everybody knows who Exxon Mobil is. It's probably one of the world's largest producers of petroleum, or BP Oil, whatever you want to call it. It's like being the owner of that uh, that massive. Uh, Organization that, that takes oil and turns it into gasoline and having this high-performance vehicle but never putting the gas in the car. That, that's, that's silly, isn't it? It's, it's ridiculous to have all of the resources of, of, uh, of that uh, organization that has all of that gasoline, all that production of gasoline and having that high-performance vehicle but never putting any gas in it. So what we want to concentrate on today is being filled with the Spirit, putting the right fuel into our tank. He says, Be not drunk with wine in verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul contrasts being filled with the Spirit here, and we need to understand that contrast here Uh, And we're going to look at the contrast in verse 18. Then we're going to look at the command that's at the end of uh, verse 18. And then we're going to look at the consequences uh, that are in verses 19, 20, and 21. And the consequences are the results of having a spirit-filled life is singing is saying thanks unto God and submitting unto Him. But we need to look at today the first part of this verse. The first part is so difficult for so many people. Be not drunk with wine, which is excess. Now, a lot of Christians, they uh, look at this command in a couple of different ways. And we need to acknowledge the fact that there are some Christians that will look at this aspect of drunkenness in a couple of different ways. First of all, is the teetotaler way. It's the way in which uh, some Christians say, well, we ought not to uh, drink any wine at all. No, not going to have anything, any part of it. Don't want to have any uh, uh, wine or any alcohol in our life completely. Those are the people that say, uh, you know, Uh, Don't drink, don't chew, don't go around with girls that do. That kind of thing, you know. uh, 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 And and listen, this is one aspect of... of Adhering to this passage of Scripture. Some Christians, though, uh, look at this passage of Scripture and they say, Well, Jesus uh, drank wine. Look throughout all the Bible and you'll see all these different places in which people are drinking wine. And they said, uh, uh, And these Christians say, Well, I just want to be like Jesus. I'm going to, if Jesus could drink wine, I can drink wine too. Uh, that's the second perspective, and the third perspective is is that of those Christians that say, "Well, uh, yes, I can drink wine, but I, I'm going to take Paul's admonition that said uh, says that if there is a weak brother uh, that is amongst you and has problems with me drinking wine, that I'm not going to drink wine around that brother that's weak, uh, but I'm going to drink wine when I'm not around. Kind of like the attitude of about I." Uh, Uh, meat offered up into idols, Paul said about that. uh, Look, uh, you can eat whatever you want to, but uh, if there's a brother who is weak amongst you, don't cause him to, to stumble simply because you exhibit your freedom to eat meat. So those are the three different aspects of how Christians look at this. And I want us to look at this in detail to see how God, Uh, demonstrates to us His command about this and what we should understand about it and you come to your own conclusion about what you need to do about uh, uh, drinking uh, alcoholic beverages, okay? So uh, those are the three different aspects of Christians today and we're going to look at uh, this on an academic level today and then next time we're going to look at Uh, the rest of the aspect uh, as it comes up. Uh, So, uh, be not drunk with wine, which is excess in verse 18. It's very clear uh, uh, the way to live as a fool is to be a drunkard. Uh, Let's look at what the Bible talks about this aspect uh, throughout Scripture. Uh, Whenever (coughs) we talk about Wisdom and those who are acting in foolish ways, being someone who is drunk, someone who is overwhelmed by uh, alcohol and and drunkenness, it is always portrayed throughout Scripture as the antith- antithesis of wisdom. Uh, so you have wisdom over here and. Opposite of wisdom is foolishness, which is drunkenness. Throughout Scripture, we have multiple different places in which uh, we have this. Uh, Verse 15... Uh, of this uh, chapter, uh, 15 of, of chapter 5 says, Don't be a fool, but rather be wise. In verse 17 it says, Don't be stupid, but do God's will. In verse 18 then it says, Don't be a drunk, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the biggest fool uh, throughout Scripture is the is the one who is unwise uh, person, is the person who gets drunk Uh, the wisest person is the one who does god's will and is filled not with wine but filled with the holy spirit Uh, the world is a drunken world throughout all of the world it seems as though every society every place in the world uh, there is uh, uh, also within that society and that place in the world people who are uh drinking and imbibing in wine and and alcohol and who are overcome with alcohol. And let's just think about how the world portrays those who are part of uh, the alcoholic scene. You know, one of the things I I enjoy in life is I I enjoy watching uh, sports from time to time. I'm not a big sports fan. I don't watch sports all the time. I don't have 10 different teams that I pull for in the college uh, leagues and 10 different teams that I pull for in the professional leagues and all that kind of stuff, that's not me. I, I have like maybe one team every once in a while I like to watch and every so often I like to watch uh, teams that have association with my bring, coming up and, and my home place and and uh, I enjoy sometimes watching those teams. But, you know, it's hard to watch that Uh, sometimes because it seems like one of the biggest advertisers on sports is what? Alcohol, alcohol. How do they portray these people uh, that are having uh, uh, alcohol? Their product. Do they they portray these people as having the best time in the world? They t- portray these people as as part of the best part of life is when you crack open one of their pro- uh, products. Uh, the people that are are celebrating the most. You can't celebrate without. Uh, having some kind of alcoholic beverage, and uh, it seems like all those people are the most sophisticated people, the most uh, aer- diet people, the most uh, uh, people that you want to emulate. Funny how they never advertise their product with the results of enjoying their product. They never show people, you know, they don't advertise uh, uh, alcohol or uh, beer or wine or whatever with somebody. Uh, draped over the edge of a toilet the next morning, do they? Uh, They never show... um, uh, They never advertise their product with women walking home the walk of shame after doing something that they really would never have done if they hadn't been alcohol. They never show people uh, being... uh, uh, strewn out all over the uh, room that's just trashed and and has got all kinds of junk all over the place and people in all uh, uh, signs of, of debauchery. They, they don't show that to advertise their product, but you know that's exactly what happens whenever uh, someone does uh, use their product to excess. They always show them as being people that are having the most fun but drunkenness, uh, they never show uh, in their advertisements the car crashes that happen when people drink too much and make unwise decisions. They never show the, the marriages that are broken up and destroyed because of alcoholism. They never show the children that are abused because of an alcoholic father or mother. They never show the, the destruction of the financial uh, situation in the home because of, of using their product, they always show something else. Alcohol, alcoholism is a major problem. And what are people looking for when they get drunk? Why is it that they're drinking? <coughs> Excuse me. Why do people drink? Well, they, they want to have joy and happiness in their life. People uh, uh, immediately, the thought is, is w- when the reason people drink is because they want to have a good time. They're wanting to have joy in their life. Another reason to, that people drink is not necessarily to have joy in their life. They're running away from a problem. They're trying to escape from the problems of life. and. Ultimately, they're all looking for comfort. They're looking for the comfort that find, that they can find in not having to deal with those problems. What does God say? God wants us to understand that those things, uh, that He wants you to have joy in your life. He wants you to have comfort. He wants you to have... Uh, uh, relief from your problems, just not at the end of an empty bottle. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, happy is the man, blessed is the man, blissful is the man. He, uh, all throughout the Beatitudes, He talks about different aspects of life and, and He says, blessed is the man, but, but that word blessed can be uh, understood as being happy and blissful and, and blessed. And so Jesus talks about how we are to have a happy life and He gives a whole description of how, what it means. In Ecclesiastes, the Sol, uh, Solomon, the, the wisest man that ever lived upon the earth and who had all the resources of being a king, he understood what it meant to be able to indulge in whatever activity he wanted to do because he had all the resources available. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there is a time... For laughter, and so God uh, wants us to be happy. In the Old Testament, it says, "A merry heart doeth good like a medicine." And Jesus said, "My joy I give unto you." In First John chapter one, verse four, he says, "These things I write unto you that your joy may be full." Paul even says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. So, you know, being a Christian isn't about being sour and walking around like you've drunk a jar full of pickle juice or, or that you've uh, sucked on a lemon all day long or, or that you uh, have everything against everyone in the world. God wants us to have joy. People drink to forget. They drink to, to find comfort. The Holy Spirit is described as what? The great comforter. We get away from our problems when we indulge in alcohol and get drunk. But the problem is, those problems are right there the next day when we sober up. And so, drunkenness is not a way of getting away from our problems or being comforted, having the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is. Drunkenness is the manifestation of depravity. The Bible calls drunkenness as a sin. Joy comes with being filled with the Spirit, not with alcohol. Here's some examples of people in the Bible that got drunk and uh, there's a common thread amongst all these people that, that when they got drunk, bad things happened. When Noah, for instance, got drunk, what happened? When he, when he did everything God wanted him to do, built the ark, got, collected all the animals, put them on the ark, endured the, the 40 days and 40 nights of rain and, and even the, the period of time, the, about a year and a half of, of waiting for the waters to recede, he gave, came through all of that. He planted a vineyard, or brought in the, uh, the grapes and promptly got drunk. Maybe all that time on the ark would cause a lot of people to get drunk. But what happened to Noah while he was drunk? He got naked and his nakedness was shamefulness. And he was shameful in front of his three sons. Lot, when he escaped Sodom and Gomorrah by the, being pulled out by the angels, he got drunk while he was hiding in the cave. And what happened to him? His two daughters took advantage of him while he was drunk and they had an incestuous relationship with him in order to bring about heirs to his family name. Uh, Nabal got drunk. God took his life. Ella got drunk and he was murdered by Zimri. Benadad and the allied kings got drunk and they were slaughtered. Belshazzar and in Daniel chapter 5 he got drunk with all of his uh all of his officials and they uh in their drunkenness worshiped the god of gold and the god of silver and the god of wood and they used the implements of worship that the Israelites had used in the holy temple and they used them for common Cups to drink out of and, and to serve food on, and they desecrated those holy uh, things that were set aside for the worship of God. and I remember what happened? The, the hand of God came and wrote on the wall those words saying that he would be weighed and he'd been judged, and his kingdom would be taken away, and that very night his kingdom was taken away. The Corinthians, oh the Corinthians. Paul wrote to the church in corinthians uh, in Corinth, and he wrote first uh, and second corinthians and <clears throat> this was a group of people that that were brought out of pagan worship and one of the things about pagan worship was is that drunkenness and and getting uh, uh, uh all uh doing all sorts of sexual deviancy along with being drunk was part of pagan worship and so what they uh what paul was saying was uh, what they were doing was they were coming to the lord's table table the the to have communion and instead of of uh, remembering that uh remember what jesus said this cup is uh, uh i give to you and now, this wine is a symbol of my blood that's poured out for you. And he said, This bread that I give you is, is a symbol of my body that is broken for you. And they were coming to the table and they were getting drunk and they were, uh, they were vomiting all over the place and they were acting like they were acting when they worshipped in the pagan temples of getting drunk and, and drinking to access. And, and uh, Paul said, You're desecrating the, the table of God by getting drunk during communion. Today, drunkenness is associated with immorality, with sexual behavior, unrestrained, recklessness, and uncontrolled destruction. People, that get drunk, they, they do all kinds of sexual deviant things because their inhibitions are released and they believe that while in, uh, their inhibitions are lowered, they can do whatever they want to do. It doesn't matter because they can just blame being drunk. They destroy things. They tear up uh, their homes and their apartments, their uh, hotel rooms. They have unrestrained behavior and they're so reckless in what they do. So is it possible for a Christian to be a drunk? The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that, Uh, that drunkards, those who are drunk, don't inherit the kingdom of God. And so the Bible is saying and telling us that those who are drunk are not Christians. So there's either one of a couple of things. Either you are uh, a drunk and you are just doing what others have done and want you to do and walk the aisle and you're not really a Christian... Or you're a Christian and you're not living like a Christian and you've not uh, surrendered yourself to God, which is questionable whether or not you have a relationship with Christ if you're allowing yourself to be controlled by anything other than Christ. So, in essence, what we have to say is the the Bible tells us that drunkenness and being a Christian don't mix. They don't come together. You can't be one and and the other at the same time. Now, whether or not you're a Christian or not is is not up for me to decide, but up for God to decide and for you to evaluate in your life and for you to determine in your life which one it'll be. Let me just share with you one last thing, the mythological roots of drunkenness uh, and its relationship to pagan worship. uh, The pagan worship, uh, pagan uh, deities in in the Greek society was very strange, very strange. It was all designed to to, uh, explain everything that was evident in the world that is supposed to lead people to God rather than to uh, something else. And the Greeks came up with all these different gods, and Zeus was the chief god amongst them, and and, uh, Zeus. uh, and another god by the uh, the name of of uh, simel Samelia, they they got together and had a baby which is kind of odd because uh uh the greeks believed that zeus was like god uh our understanding of god that anyone looked upon uh directly on god uh would uh be destroyed because he is so holy and and so high and lifted up and everyone everything so Samelia gets pregnant with Zeus somehow uh, without uh, them coming together in the traditional sense and uh, they, she's pregnant and she wants to go in and see uh, uh, the father of her child and she goes in and she's instantly destroyed but while she's being destroyed Zeus takes the baby and puts uh, the baby into his body on his calf and uh, uh, the baby goes to the rest of the term and is born that way. And this is really strange stuff, isn't it? Um, but it, we're not finished with it. it. It keeps getting stranger. As When the baby is born, Zeus says that the, the baby is going to be the god of the earth and the titans that are on the earth, the sons of God on the earth, uh, they uh, don't like that idea. So as soon as uh, the baby is born and, and comes down to their... Uh, they tear the baby apart... And destroy the baby, but Zeus uh, saves the the heart of the baby and swallows it, and again carries the baby to full term again to be reborn again. Uh, the baby comes to Earth, and uh, the 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 new uh, baby is called Dionysus. Dionysus is uh, a god that is. Um, his religion, he develops a religion, and and uh, he his religion is that that creation ascends from the ashes, and the religion of of Dionysius is to is ecstasy, and you get close to. Uh, communion with God through ecstasy, and the way to do that is to get drunk. And so he is known as the God of wine. The temples throughout the ancient world, you can go there today and see these temples to Dionysius, and you can see that those temples are covered with uh, carvings of vines and grapes, and and uh, much of their worship was done by getting uh, blastered in, in wine and uh, getting drunk and doing all kinds of uh, lascivious things and uh, not just social drinking but uh, it, it uh, was drinking to excess to the point where they were throwing up and they were doing all kinds of uh, perverted things and and all of this was done in order to get closer to their uh, worship of God Dionysius. So, for much of the ancient world, drunkenness was associated with pagan worship, which is what Paul is referencing in Corinthians, in which he tells them it's so dangerous for them to come to the, t- uh, to the table of God and to worship uh, God through drunkenness because it is going back to their old style of, of worshiping pagan gods. So what does this mean for us today? And for how, do, how do we look at this today? We're admonished by God through this passage and many other passages to not drink, not to, to be drunk with wine, not to allow ourselves to be drunk because basically the question is who controls your life? Who controls you? Do you control your life and allow uh God to be to fill you and his holy spirit to lead you and and give you the strength and the ability to to face each new day or do you allow yourself to be controlled by uh alcohol and drugs and anything else basically that controls your life in the way in which alcohol and drugs do The question is is are you going to be controlled by the things of this world, are you going to be, allow God to control your life? That's the ultimate question of, of your relationship to drinking. And one of the major things that we have to understand is is that anytime we drink alcohol and we allow ourselves to be influenced by alcohol, we have the danger of, of drinking to excess we're going to talk a little bit more about that the next time. But the question today is, is who controls your life? Does God control your life? Does the Holy Spirit fill your life? Or is your life filled by something that takes the control away from you, that causes you to do all kinds of debauchery and all kinds of things to access to the point where you're not in control of your life and most times you're uh, ashamed about what you've done the next day? as you sober up. So the question for you today is, who controls your life? Does God control your life? Is the Holy Spirit filling you, bringing you joy and comfort in your life and causing you to be filled with with His peace to overcome the problems of your life? Or are you searching for that at the bottom of the bottle? The question for us today is, is, do we want to be filled with God's Spirit? for the spirits of this world. And it's my hope and prayer that you allow God to fill your life and allow God to bring you true joy and happiness, to bring you true comfort through the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, or if you are battling uh, this addi- these addictions with alcohol and drugs and you don't want them to have control of your life, God can lead you away from that, can help you through that, help you to be the person that He wants you to be. You just simply have to yield to Him, allow His Spirit to come into your life. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we thank You so much that You give us the great joy and and happiness that comes with knowing You as our Savior and Lord. And Your Spirit fills us and brings us uh, such complete joy in our life and helps us to live through our life, brings peace and contentment and comfort that nothing in this world can ever compare. Lord, I pray that You will help us to, to be an example to the world that seeks to find the uh, the substitute that Satan throws up as a uh, uh, his perverted... Example of what God desires to give us. Lord, we pray that you'd help us, your people to to come to you, allow you to lead us into true joy, comes with filling with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.